Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show, the sleeping giant that lives underneath your town. Remember us? We remember you. From comics and video games to science and technology and beyond, we've seen it all and done it all. Hi, I'm Cap, your cowboy hat-wearing, convertible-driving, perpetually-bemused narrator. I'm five foot four and maintain a very consistent pussycat shape. Now, I've got some episodes of Nerdy Show recorded, uh, but I've forgotten where they are. I've got it written down at home somewhere. So for now, I hope you'll enjoy this presentation of an interview I did back in November 2018. It might be appropriate to Nerdy Show, or it might not. Maybe you've heard it on another podcast feed, or maybe you missed it. I hope you don't mind weird discussions. But if you're like me and you enjoy strange music and strange movies, then you might like True Stories a funky musical comedy from 1986, written and directed by Talking Heads frontman David Byrne. It's one of my favorite films of all time, and back in that fall of 2018, one of my cinephile dreams came true. This obscure little movie got a Criterion Collection re-release, combined with the first-ever release of that film's complete soundtrack. So naturally, I took the opportunity to speak with an artist who's had an incredible effect on my life, David Byrne. The film was Byrne's directorial debut, and as it plainly puts it right at the start, is about a bunch of people in Virgil, Texas. It's part zany slice-of-life comedy, part anthropological study, processed through the music of talking heads, and projected through a loving arthouse lens. It's the most earnest portrait of 80s America ever committed to screen, set against shopping malls, prefab warehouses, freeway clover leaves, faceless tech buildings, fading small-town kitsch, and endless green acres of possibilities. Today we have a fashion show, and I think it's going to be something that you'll just love. It's very unusual. So come on, let's bring on the show from the Dream Factory, a bonanza of beauty. Disassociated vignettes and testimonials weave together as the town prepares for the celebration of Special Ness, their local commemoration of Texas's sesquicentennial. At the center of it all is Byrne himself, a cowboy hat-wearing self-parody who wanders into Virgil as a narrator figure. 
John Goodman debuts as Louis Fine, a marriage-obsessed man. Hello, I'm Louis Fine, and I'm looking for matrimony with a capital M. I believe in the joys and contentment of matrimony. Now, my chances in this world that prints a new diet book every month may not be that good. I'm looking for someone who can accept me for what I am. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. I'm pleased with the way God made me. I wouldn't change a thing. I'm willing to share. Won't you please call this number? 844-WIFE. That's 844-WIFE. Please call. Serious inquiries only. Together, Goodman's Lewis and Burns' inquisitive narrator play off an impeccable cast of characters including Spalding Gray and Annie McEnroe as a couple who never speak to each other, Swoozy Kurtz, the woman so rich she doesn't have to get out of bed, Tito LaRiva, who hears radio signals in his head, and many more. The film is a pageant of mundane modern wonder celebrating the unassuming suburban grace of a plastic bag in the wind, long before American Beauty and offering up this penetrative gaze in a rollicking style that could only come from one of the world's greatest art rock outfits. David, I saw True Stories when I was in high school, and it was pretty revelatory for me. It changed the way that I wrote and in retrospect, it really played a part in my development as a multidisciplinary artist. Wow. That's pretty much all I could ask, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, if it has that kind of effect, that's pretty good. One of the things I love about it is how it views the world so earnestly. You know, it seems like it's a pretty viable portrait of what you were interested in at that moment in time and your feelings on them. And you managed to figure out a way to stick them all in one place. Yes, it does. It does get to be a little bit of a grab bag. We get to go, oh yeah, I can, uh, I can say something about architecture here. I can say something about all these different regional musical styles. I can work that in there. And that's one of the reasons that it presents such a clear picture because it has the opportunity to explore so much. I mean, I show it to people for a lot of reasons, but one of the most significant, I think, is that it's. I feel one of the most honest and realized portraits of America in the 80s, or a portrait of the 80s itself in some ways. Well, thank you. When it came out, I seem to recall two very different kinds of reactions. In the United States, it was viewed as being very ironic, that I was sort of making fun of people, Oh gosh! which was not my intention. In Europe, it was looked at as a kind of loving tribute to a lot of the wonderful creative eccentricities of America, which is what was intended. And I thought, wow. Why does that happen? Why do people see it so differently? Is there something, did I fail somewhere? Was I unclear? You know, you know <laughs> right. I started to blame myself and think, was there something I did that kind of confused people? That Something I should have added or whatever? Or was it just my personality or the way I spoke or my presence in the movie that kind of did that? Anyway. Since it came out, a lot of other people have done things similar to that style, like looking at very suburban body types in just sort of a whimsical but also loving way so that now it's an easier dialogue to have but at the time maybe it was like too raw perhaps yeah i want uh, sort of realistic looking people in many cases times have changed i think people who have seen it more recently have a different take on it well i think maybe it laid 
America Bear in a way that hadn't been done before. And it was fun. I mean, it is a, a comedic film in a lot of ways, but it's a time capsule of that moment in time. And yet there's aspects of it that are still shockingly relevant. You know, what with the end of the world coming and all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the um, preacher with all his conspiracy theories and presenting them as a as a kind of video lecture in church. I mean, all that stuff goes on now, only it's probably <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> Let's look at what's happened to the national morals since World War II. We lost the Vietnam War. The movies and the television are filled with characters I don't even want to know. Not in this life. The farmer's in trouble. The small businessman is in trouble. Unemployment is skyrocketing. Texas is still paying for John Kennedy's death, my friends. There's a, a quote in your introduction to the True Stories book that is chillingly and increasingly relevant. You wrote, Empires in retreat get into some pretty weird stuff. Egypt, Rome, England, Japan, Spain, and now the United States. They get this intense pride and nostalgia for what they imagine they are and what they imagine they were because they can see it slipping away. Well- Boy, I'm surprised. Wow, that seems very relevant now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ahead of your time, man. <laughs> oh, well, maybe just kind of looking whatever was happening right in the eye. Initially, I know this movie was obviously based on a lot of clippings from magazines and so on, but you pulled in Beth Henley and Stephen Tobolowsky to write the script. And in the book, you mentioned that the first draft had too much story in it. I was curious what that version of the film looked like and how it transmuted to get to its present state. To be honest, I can't even remember what all the extra elements were that were in that version. Some of them survived. Some of them obviously survived. And working with those guys was really exciting. And we did a lot of scouting around and driving around Texas and getting inspiration and talking about what we were seeing. They went to school in Texas, so it was nice to talk to them about that. Mm. Well, do you recall what you um, gave them to work off of? Did you just straight up give them the clippings and be like, here's the story, kind of, and here's some pictures, and let's make this a thing? Yeah, I think there was a lot of pictures and drawings that I had on the wall of my house at the time. And I think there might have been the inspirational clippings from the tabloid press about these eccentric characters. I might have just said, okay, here's a lot of visuals, and here's these characters. Like, yeah, this person never leaves their house and rarely gets out of bed. And there's somebody who's advertising for a wife. And here's a guy who's got all this gear in his trailer and he's listening for UFOs. And I said, is there a way we can kind of thread through all these people and get to know them in some way? And yeah, they contributed a lot. Jonathan Demme came by and he had an idea. So yeah, lots of people helped nudge me in one direction or another. What was uh, Jonathan Demme's nudge? He pointed out the value of having something he referred to as a clock which he didn't mean mm. um, a timepiece on the wall. He meant that you know something's coming. Yeah. And that as the film moves on, you know you're going to get closer to it. So you know you're headed someplace. You're bouncing around visiting all these different characters, but you have a sense that you're headed somewhere. So I think that helped cement the idea of the talent show at the end and the parade and all that kind of stuff, that that was all leading up to that. And all you had to do was have people mention it every once in a while. And it gave you a sense of, oh, 
something's going to happen at the end here. <laughs> and this is all leading somewhere. This is not just totally aimless. And that was, that was a wonderful idea. Yeah, no, that's straight up good story advice. <laughs> mm-hmm. When it came to actually assembling that event, the celebration of specialness, there's such a varied array of performances there, only a couple of which are mentioned specifically in the script. What was the process for assembling all those different people for the parade and for the stage show itself? Some of it was not exactly improvised, but some of it was based on actual acts that we could get in Texas that existed there. So we weren't going to like create all this stuff. We'd mm-hmm. create some things, but then other things we would just use what already existed. So like the parade was an existing parade. We just inserted our stuff into it <laughs> and said, well, we know you're having Fourth of July parade or whatever it was. And we have a whole group of moms with their infants and baby carriages that we'd like to, they would like to be part of this. And we have a, an accord, a marching accordion band. They would like to be part of it. And in the, the town, they said, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they occasionally complained if we just thought we need to kind of back up and do that section again so we get another angle <laughs> on it. And they would go, well, wait a minute. This, the parade's got to go on. <laughs> but, <laughs> it, it worked. It worked. With the presence of the music being so intense in the movie, I'm curious how the rest of Talking Heads viewed the project as it was developing and if they were always going to be a component of it or not. In order for the characters to sing over the Talking Heads tracks, we had to record the tracks for the songs Mm -hmm. before the movie was shot. And the band liked the songs. We had fun doing them. But at the same time, they viewed it as David's project. Mm -hmm. This is one one of David's projects. And then we'll do something else when he's done with this. They're in it in a couple of scenes where the band is featured in kind of a scene that's on television and... There's a scene where there's like a a lip sync contest and things like that. Yeah. The film and the story and just the sort of focal points of true stories, there's a lot of rituals explored, mostly modern rituals that people don't normally observe as being rituals like shopping or going to clubs or parades. And then, of course, there's the Papa Legba sequence. I'm curious about your perception of ritual space and the first times you were ever exposed to, say, Afro-Caribbean religion, like in the Papa Legba sequence. That was something I, I became very interested in. I'd go to church services in New Orleans or other places, and it was intense. It was wonderful. And it, the ecstasy was like something you would see at one of the best kind of R&B or rock performances that you'd ever seen. And I realized that a lot of sacred rituals, whether it's Afro-Cuban or Afro-Brazilian, they partake of a lot of that same ecstasy and that same kind of sense of being taken by the music. And that, to me, it was a kind of spirituality that didn't place man in opposition to nature, but looked for a way for man to somehow work in consort or in harmony with natural forces, to imagine and experience our place in the world rather than viewing ourselves as being separate from the world in a way that can be very pleasurable. Mm. I have great fascination for for the whole evolutionary tree of all that kind of religion and spirituality. So there's a little bit of it in the movie. Not much, but a little bit. After I did True Stories, not too long after, I did a documentary in Brazil about an Afro-Brazilian religion called Candomblé. And so I was pretty immersed in it at that point. 
getting a Criterion release for True Stories is pretty exciting. I mean, for years I've had the DVD, which is the most bare bones DVD I own of anything. <laughs> I know. Yes, that tells you something. I don't know. But anyway, yes, it's incredibly exciting. Huge fan of what they do. But it wasn't easy. It took probably a couple of years to get clearances from Warner the film company, the mm-hmm. record company, all that kind of stuff, to get everybody kind of shaking hands and coming to an agreement. It was, wow, complicated. I, yeah, I bet. And the fact of having the complete soundtrack release, that's so exciting. I mean, I sought out the Sounds from True Stories record. <laughs> Which only came out on vinyl and cassette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was like a little blurb in the CD for the album that said like, oh yeah, there's a soundtrack and there's going to be a cast recording version too, which of course never materialized. And then I hunted down all the singles that had the different releases on it, what there was. It's so awesome to have everything out finally. So I imagine that was quite the process. Yeah, that meant tracking down tapes and doing nice new mixes of the cast versions, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So these have been completely rebuilt from the ground up? Yes, a lot of them. That's so rad. (laughs) Just having a decent release of True Stories was kind of like on my media wish list of like possible futures and all that. But having something that's like got, you know, new documentaries on it is just overwhelming. As soon as I found out, it was the middle of the night and I was like, I'm ordering this immediately. (laughs) Documentaries they did are really good. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of them are quite eccentric, but some of them are really very moving. In regards to the music featured in the film that is not Talking Heads music, like Cocktail Desperado, where did all that other music come from? Were you just pouring through, like, tonally things that you found that felt like the right fit, or was it an active search? It was an active search, but there's a world of music in Texas Mm. of all different kinds, and I thought, let's try and represent that. Let's have a Tex-Mex song, and Christina Petoskey said, oh, you got to check out Esteban Hodan, the psychedelic, you know, Cajunto guy. And that <laughs> was incredible. Mm-hmm. And Terry Allen is the husband of Joe Harvey Allen, one of the actors. And I'd seen Carl Finch, who has this band outside of Dallas in Denton called Brave Combo. And they do like a radical take on polkas and other music too. And <laughs> I approached them and said, can you write a thing for an accordion marching band? <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's right up his alley. So I, it was a lot of the stuff was commissioned where I'd go to people and go, can you do this? This is kind of your thing, but with a little bit of a twist to it. I love that. I, I did not realize how much of it was custom. That's very cool. And yeah, the accordion marching, that's a really like, I mean, they're producing some downright angelic sounds out of those accordions. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. There's a number of deleted scenes, which I'm really excited to experience that I've only seen in the script. I've seen like stills from them, but it seems like they all got cut for good reason, the flow and the pacing of the movie. Yeah, a lot of it was just flow and pacing. There was a version where we followed John Goodman's wedding immediately with a funeral. Mm. And I mean, I thought it's a comedy, but (laughs) people found it kind of depressing. (laughs) So we said, okay, I guess it's got to go. Let's kind of see if we can take it out and still have the scene with uh, Pop Staples. And so then taking out the funeral scene warranted slicing up the other scenes, building up to the cute woman dying? Yeah, some of her build up and 
some of her character got cut because it was not going to end with her funeral anymore. Was she, like, her death via cuteness overload, was that a uh, tabloid? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Her heart attack, heat stroke, who knows what it was? Uh, she, she seemed to have a history of being overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think that Lewis and the lazy woman are up to in 2018? If we're considering these characters as <laughs> focal points for aspects of America, who are they now? Wow. She seemed independently wealthy because she could afford to stay home. But Lewis, uh, I mean, he may have done okay. He may have done okay. He may have done all right before the crash of 2008. <laughs> and uh, those very core stocks just bought Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got the very core stock and funded a startup. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the film has an ending title card, which reads, If you can think of it, it exists somewhere. And I was curious where that came from, ending the film with that buried little message there, if you recall what that was all about. Now, of course, I can't remember. It sounds like something I may, may have written down somewhere on a post-it note or whatever, and that Tibor Coleman, who was doing the end credits and the titles and all this stuff, saw it and said, hey, can we put this in here? Can we use this? <laughs> and it sounds like one of those things. Hmm. It's not too dissimilar from the internet rule, rule 34. Are you familiar with that? No, what's, the, what's that? That's, uh, if you can think of it, there's porn of it. <laughs> I wonder if that's actually true. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to verify that. <laughs> there's an artist here, uh, Vic Muniz, who once said, my ambition is to make a claymation porn feature. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, go ahead, you go ahead. That's probably one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard. <laughs> that a perfect medium for it. It's claymation so visceral. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And that's the story of how I introduced David Byrne to Rule 34 and we discussed claymation porn. And yes, I am very pleased with myself. Thanks. I'll put this on the shelf next to that one time I saw Brian Eno give a lecture that included his fascination with ImageFap and the human behavioral studies that it offers. And that is also 
a true story. So, hey, hi. <laughs> it's been so long. Happy birthday. I, I'm sure we missed your birthday at some point. Uh, but, you know, it's it's been a crazy time. <laughs> oh, what have we been doing? <laughs> Gosh, lots. Um, we've been hard at work on new installments of the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, Ghostbusters Resurrection, Lightning Dogs. Um, Doug and I did this really amazing actual play series called Kate Was Here that's out now on our Patreon. And there's a bunch of stuff that we can't exactly talk about yet. But, um, hey, you should check out our Discord server. That's where all the nerdy show action is these days. If you're feeling down or want to share a space with geeks who just want to have a good time and share the stuff they love, you know, much like this show, well, this is the space for you. The cast and crew from a number of our shows are there, along with an incredible community of folks. You can find the link at nerdyshow.com discord. On a similar note of picking up spirits, David Byrne has a wonderful project called Reasons to be Cheerful. It's a website that explores good things happening in the world things that stimulate positive social change during these dark times, signs that there's growth and healing in spite of it all, and Reasons to be Cheerful recently launched a new feature called We Are Not Divided. It's a collaborative multimedia journalism project dedicated to revealing stories that show humanity's capacity and deep desire to bridge divides. As its mission statement states, there is abundant evidence that we human beings have far greater ability and desire to overcome our divisions than we realize. You can find all of that at reasonstobecheerful.world. This interview originally appeared as part of the Consequence of Sound podcast and was published November 21st, 2018. That podcast no longer exists. So here we are. We've interviewed a lot of remarkable people on the show over the years. Like Weird Al Yankovic, Reggie Watts, Dan Aykroyd, Thomas Dolby. It's an extensive list, and there is, in fact, a list. If you click the wiki link at the top of nerdyshow.com, you'll find an index of every person we've ever spoken with, from beloved voice actors to cyborgs and nerdy musicians, and, uh, of course, links to where you can hear those episodes. We've had so many adventures since we kicked off in 2009. Our episodes might be intermittent these days, but... It's a wild, wild life. And these adventures aren't going to stop anytime soon. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.